Hey listeners, this is Jude Bialik, your producer for episode 12. Season 2 is still planned to launch early this fall, but in the meantime, here is a bonus episode for you. For the first time, we recorded not just the audio, but also the video, and it actually turned out pretty well. I did specifically tell Donna and our guests to look cute for the episode, and in my opinion, they did come through on that. So if you want to watch some handsome people talk about educational innovation, you can find the video by following the link in the show notes or by searching Lethbridge College CTLI or the episode title in YouTube. Uh, quickly, before I let you go, I would just like to thank our listeners who have followed us, liked us, rated us, or in any way offered feedback or support. We're still a small little pod, so stuff like that makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. All right, enjoy the episode. This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in, hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. Today, we are having a panel discussion with some special guests from Australia and our leaders from the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College. Our guests are from the Australian College of the Arts, also known as CollArts. And uh, what I will do is start by getting each of you to introduce yourselves and what your role is. So maybe Tim, we'll start with you. Thanks, Donna. So hi, everybody. Tim Moss. Uh, I'm the Dean at CollArts, so uh, responsible for overall, overall academic leadership. Okay, and Ben? Uh, hi, Donna and everyone. Uh, yeah, my name's Ben O'Hara. I'm the Managing Director at CollArts. Uh, so I guess um, responsible for everything uh, that goes on uh, in the four walls at Collart. So everything that Tim's not busy doing. Great, thank you. And I'll also um, have each of our Lethbridge College leaders introduce themselves. So Jackie, if you'd like to go first. Hi, everybody. I'm Jacqueline Doherty. I'm the Dean for the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation here at Lethbridge College. Okay, and Erin? Hi, I'm Erin Howard, and I'm the Associate Dean for CTLI. And last but not least, Kyle? Uh, Kyle Snowden, Senior Manager of Library and Digital Learning at Lethbridge College. Okay, well, thank you very much, and welcome to everyone. This is really exciting to bring you all together to have this discussion. I understand that Lethbridge College and CollArts have a relationship and a connection, but I'm not sure how that originated. So can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? Uh, so, you know, I guess it's a, not an uncommon story, really, but Erin uh, and I met at a conference a few years ago uh, and um, we, we found we had some uh, like-minded ideas around teaching and learning and it was a it was a teaching and learning based conference so uh, this is the hot topic of discussion across a few days and um, to be honest I was really impressed with some of the things that Lethbridge College was doing uh, just in the conversations I was having with Erin and um, you know we're a much smaller college but on a very uh, rapid growth trajectory so in a very almost selfish way to be honest Donna uh, I uh, sort of jumped on board to try to learn as much about the structure and setup and what was happening at Lethbridge College so that we could um, replicate some of that uh, in our growth at CollArts. Thanks, Ben. And Tim, how did you become involved in this connection? That's a really good question, Donna, and I think it's purely by nature of um, at CollArts, we work very closely together. So, um, if there wouldn't be a day, I don't think, where Ben and I aren't, you know, brainstorming and asking each other tough questions and trying to figure out how we're going to move forward with various things. And I think more than once, Ben's answer was, 
I'm just going to message Aaron. We'll just see what Aaron has to say about that. We'll see if Aaron's got any resources. And then over time, that gradually expanded to just going to talk to Lethbridge and we'll just see if Lethbridge have any have any ideas or thoughts about that. And so I think it's just kind of organically organically grown. And then um, Ben and Aaron were kind enough to invite me along to one of their meetings. And um, I think it's sort of just uh, grown from there. And um, yeah, we've certainly taken a lot from that connection in terms of helping us figure out, you know, how we get up to be a little bit more Lethbridge-like, I guess. Oh, that's really interesting. And Erin, uh, do you want to talk about what that looks like from the Lethbridge College side? <laughs> yeah, they're making it sound like we gave them so much, but I think we have learned a lot from them as well. Um, ben was nice enough to send a big box of Collart swag our way a couple years back. So I think our offices have some water bottles and some you know, notepads and stuff like that from CallArts. And I was <clears throat> just really impressed with how innovative and cutting edge. Yeah, there's Jeff King. Exactly. Hey, Jude again. We probably could have edited this part out, but I think it's kind of cute, so we're leaving it in. Uh, Jackie and Aaron both just held up their phones to show that they do indeed have CallArts pop sockets glued to the back of their phones. Uh, these folks genuinely like each other and it is kind of cute all right back to the show <laughs> <laughs> um, we were just really impressed with how innovative and cutting edge both their programming and just kind of the vibe of the college as well and anytime we had projects going here i would check in with ben and say hey have you done something similar? And we were swapping ideas and some documents. And then they were really starting to build their teaching and learning center. And that's when I thought, you know, let's all, let's bring a group together and start to have these conversa conversations. And they've been really great. Hence us thinking maybe it would be good to do a podcast together. But yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Jackie and Kyle, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think um, that anytime we have an opportunity to reflect on some of the work that we're doing um, through these kinds of conversations is always really good. And like Aaron said, we've we have learned so much from some of our discussions and um, it's actually really fun to see how energetic all of us get and you know you're you're keeping us under control today but i think we we hit it off right away uh the, the moment that Aaron introduced us to these these two so i'm really grateful for it Kyle for for, for me it was a a, a package arrived at the office with some of the best branded swag I've ever seen. And so obviously I was drawn to that. And Aaron uh, set me up with a very nice t-shirt. That's one of my favorite t-shirts to wear uh, that says Clarts across the back. And, and you know, who are these people? And then the questions started rolling in. And next thing you know, like we, I think we meet every, you know, month or two months and, and just have these rich conversations. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to hear from Aaron and Ben how just a, a chance meeting at a conference uh, showing the same interests is now kind of really affecting us and, and, and trickling down to our students at our institutions. Well, it sounds like it's been a really mutually beneficial connection to have. So how do your centers support educational innovation at your institutions? And um, Ben, I'll maybe let you hop in first on this one. Um, yeah, it's a, that, that's a deep question to get us uh, rolling, which I really like. Um, uh, we're a very different educational institution at CollArts from, from most. We're, we are creative industries focused and all of our courses are in that field. Um, our teachers tend to be, uh, I use the term a little bit carefully, but that pracademic type, type of teacher. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of innovation and, and activity that happens day to day. Um, part of our job, Tim and I, is just to capture and enhance that that activity that's happening anyway. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get to it later on. But, um, you know, through the COVID pandemic, that innovation has come up, you know, 10 times, 100 times. Uh, and, and, you know, it's almost a case of um, things happen so fast that we have to stay on top of 
having some idea of what's going on across a, even a small college. So I can only imagine for Lethbridge, it's going to be even more, even more the case. Um, been, a, been, you know, Lethbridge College is, I think, about 4,000 students and we're about 1,200 students. So, you know, we're about a quarter, quarter of the size. Um, but, it, but that gives us a unique advantage too, because there's a whole bunch of that great stuff going on in the in the four walls we can build it knowing that there's a destination in sight you know so we know where we're heading by using you know someone like Lethbridge is a really good example of where we're heading at when we get to 4,000 students we know the kind of structures and and capture the things on the way through I'm not sure that answered your question very well uh, but I think Tim might have something to add to that <laughs> Tim yeah, thanks. Um, I thought that was a good answer, Ben. I mean, the, the only, I just wanted to pick up on one thing you said, because I think this is really critical to how we work. And um, I think in a sense, our structure is slightly different. As Ben said, we're, we're about a quarter of the size of Lethbridge. We don't really have a distinct centre as such. It's just we are the academic leaders of the of the college and so that's just what we what we do you know we don't have enough people to kind of carve out distinct centers yet we will um, so I think my sense about the role we play with innovation is often uh, and we when I started Ben said to me and he said this the other day to someone else who started and I thought it was a really good way of explaining a bit about the Collarts ethos which is that whatever your role is at Collarts we want you to be a leader in that role so we don't want to be the ones telling you what to do or how to do your job. We want you to be telling us what you need to do, but also how we need to support you. And so I think what we've tried to do is really empower our teachers, our courses, the heads of those courses to really take that course and make the most of it. But then what we end up doing is almost like conducting. So if we see something great happening over in music and we think that, you know, audio could really benefit from that or comedy might find that idea really useful, we kind of orchestrate those connections. So a lot of what we're doing is identifying those pockets of innovation when they start to pop up and going, ah, that's one we can take to everybody or oh, that one would be interesting to just these people. And I think that's a kind of a full-time role in some ways, just keeping an eye on that field and how things are starting to grow and develop. And so we kind of orchestrate those connections, but we're lucky that we've got such a dynamic and motivated team who will who will do the the thinking you know and we just have to to find it and share it often thanks tim um jackie or aaron or kyle i i know all, you're all probably wanting to jump in there so who would like to go first i can i can step in um yeah i just love how you put that just in terms of you know being the orchestrators of making those connections we feel that as well uh, with our role here being centralized, um, knowing what's happening with all the different academic centers and all the different units, we get to work with all of them. And oftentimes it's about making, bridging those areas together. But it's also about looking out there beyond our walls. So sometimes some of the things that trigger some of those really great ideas and those innovations or, or even trying to predict where we need to be down the road comes from things that have nothing to do really right now with higher education, but they will absolutely influence where we need to be. And so I think that with our team, it's about creating space for members of our teams to constantly be looking out there, getting inspired out there, and then bringing it back in here to try and test things out. And, and the institution isn't always ready for that, but we have to be that much further ahead so that we can, yes, meet them where they're at right now, but also be ready for them when they get to where they need to be down the road. So I think that that's a really exciting position to be and it just keeps things going all the time. Nothing, nothing will ever stay the same in our world. And I think most people in our centers are quite comfortable with that. Um, and when they're not, I think that uh, they're realizing that the team is there to, to catch them and lift them up when, when uh, they might be a little bit uncertain about certain things, so. Yeah, it, it just comes back to that culture, like Jackie said, creating space. And um, like Tim said, finding those little bits of culture and trying to lift them up. And I think just, um, yeah, trying to instill that confidence for some risk and that confidence to kind of learn and try things out. And that's the unique position that we're in to be able to inspire some of that innovation. Thanks, Erin. 
Yeah. And all, along that lines, as Aaron, as Aaron talking, got me thinking, you know, we had someone come to our college once who, you know, was giving a, a kind of a lecture on all these great things happening in higher education. I remember going to them and kind of saying like, how, how is this happening at all these institutions? How does it start? And they gave me this advice that kind of sticks with me now. Everything's a pilot. Everything's a pilot. Everything's a trial. Everything. And if you approach it with that mindset, then it actually soft, it cushions any sort of, you know, failure that you might have because we're, we're just trying something out and, and, and we're, we're piloting it now and maybe it's great. Um, but no matter what we're going to along the way, find, you know, a different way to do it or a better way to do it, or maybe it's the, maybe we chose the poor way to do it, but you know what, we covered ourselves because it's just a pilot. Um, and, and that kind of sticks with me in, in most things we do uh, to support, you know, faculty and students in, in the kind of the realm of innovation. And as a teaching and learning center, we're kind of, you know, where Tim's talked about having, a, you know, they, they know what's going on and they're connecting their faculty. We're just doing that at our institution on just maybe a larger scale that programs might be doing something similar, but not be aware of each other just because the size of the institution and the, and the silos where we're like, we're the silo smashers. And then, and we go in and we, and we know what's going on in the different areas. And then we can, we can connect instructors who, you know, might only know each other from passing in the hallways and then great things can happen. Oh, that's some great ideas there, Kyle. Um, and so it really, as I mentioned before, it sounds like a really mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, both organizations have learned a lot from each other. And we are going to talk a little bit later about um, things specific to the pandemic and COVID. But up to that and prior to that, what are some things that you can talk about that, that each of you have learned from the other or your organization has learned from the other institution? Um, and Tim and Ben, again, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, there's a really obvious one for us, which is we we are really building our Centre for Teaching and Learning from the ground up. Um, you know, we, I guess, a year ago, we had one staff member in that centre. That was it. You know, we had an Associate Dean Teaching and Learning. And um, we, we've now, <laughs> we, you know, we kind of might have a little bit borrowed uh, a structure from another institution uh, and we kind of might have borrowed a few of those titles and, uh, you know, the way that, that the org chart's set up and things like that. Uh, and we're still in the infancy of that, in all honesty. But, but you know, because we, we've been so impressed and, and amazed, really, at the goals that Lethbridge College has been able to kick, um, is that a term there? Do you, is that a kicking goals? Is that a thing that that you guys say as a... It's a, good, it's a good thing. You want to be kicking goals. You want to be kicking goals, yeah. Uh, anyway, because you're kicking goals over there, um, you know, punching above your weight might be another uh, better phrase for it. Okay, Carl's nodding at that one, so that makes sense. Um, so, you know, because of that, it, it makes a lot of sense for us to say, well, wouldn't we model something on or want to model ourselves on someone who's been super successful in, in doing it and, and having achieved a lot and, you know, putting out great outputs. And I guess that goes right back to those, you know, those initial documents and, and resources that Erin and I were sharing, you know, I think right back to, it wasn't long uh, into your tenure at Collarts, Tim, you know, you'd only just started and, uh, Tim was doing a, a PD session for all staff and Aaron, you know, we didn't have any resource on a particular topic. I can't remember what it was. And, and Aaron said, I oh, don't no, you know, use this. And, it, you know, it was a great resource. <laughs> and it was like, well, why wouldn't you want to model yourself on, on someone who's able to provide these great resources and, and, um, you know, give us what we were after straight away, you know? So, yeah, you know, that, immediately springs to mind is that we we are modeling ourselves after Lethbridge College which is great fun you know. Jim is there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, the resource was around group work and um, getting students collaborating I, re I remember and thanks Aaron it's a great resource. Um, I, I think what I would add to that is and I think Ben's really covered this off but I just want to highlight that this is the really significant thing for us that it wasn't 
you know, we didn't just photocopy your org chart, although we might have done that. Um, but, you know, it was also about really understanding the relationships that you build with your faculty and looking at how that is something we could also bring in when we started bringing in a centre. I mean, I've worked in centres for teaching and learning and innovation in, in other places and it's, you know, it doesn't always work that way. It's often less of a dialogue and, and more of a monologue where these centres are, you know, producing a resource and sending it out. And it's like, right, well, that's my work done. And we got a real sense that that wasn't the way it operated at Lethbridge. And that's that was what we were interested in as well, is finding that way to really make professional development and teaching and learning more of a conversation with our teachers, make it something that, you know, was involving them and we were helping them. But again, that focus on them building up their own ideas and their own practice. So, so we liked that too. And we thought if that's the structure that lets you scale up that approach, then that was really the appeal for us, I think. And coming back over to the Lethbridge College side, um, maybe Jackie, I'll let you go first. And, and so what has that looked like from, from our side, from the Lethbridge College side? It's funny because we're, we, as much as you say that you're modeling a lot of, of what you're doing after what we're doing, we are a well-established center. We've been around for a long time, but we've gone through some really rapid transition in the last couple of years. So it's fairly new to us as well. I mean, working together with all of our departments is when um, as closely as we are right now is something that we're, that we're learning and we're, um, we're iterating through that process. And so I think it's kind of interesting to watch how you're pulling your center together and how we can talk about some of the things that are working and some of the things that might not be working, but we're still on that learning curve. We're still trying to figure a lot of that out. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of reflection in our, in our conversations as well. Um, I know that with COVID, and I know you're going to talk about that later, but I think that that's been a real, a real uh, learning experience for us to see how you've adapted and you've um, and how you've worked through that process, um, but also how you've grown so much in the last couple of years. It's just so impressive, so impressive to be able to take, um, it's almost like you, to plant the seed for, for what you have, you've, you've established and to grow it as fast as you, you have. I think that that's the dream of so many, so many institutions. So it's, it's pretty inspiring to see how you've done that. So I think you need to take a lot of the credit for that as well. I, I just remember when we were talking about the different positions, uh, coming back to reflection, you know, they were saying, well, how does this team work with this team? And why is that title that, why, why learning experience designer? Is that different from instructional designer? Do your ed developers, are they on the same team as your learning experience designers? So I think by going through and just kind of sharing with uh, Ben and Tim, what kind of decisions we had made around the structure of our um, center. We learned that, you know, what maybe was arbitrary or what we walked into, but what was really intentional as well. So I think what Jackie said about we're always restructuring things, we're always, um, like Kyle said, like the switchboard, we're plugging one thing into the next and seeing how things um, move around. And I think we'll continue to do that. But working with you two really helped us take a deeper look at why we have structured things the way that we did. And, you know, some of it was pre-existing as well. So it's a good second check. Yeah. And, and, and building on that, it's, I think when we first started talking with uh, Ben and Tim, I think the three of us got a little kind of jealous and excited because as, as being kind of educator nerds or edu nerds, um, you know, in our heads, we're thinking, oh, imagine, imagine you could build an institution from the ground up. What would you do? Right. And so, so it, like, we, 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 we love the idea and, and hear, uh, the ideas that you're coming up with and, and hearing about them, but we're, we're really trying to all do the same thing too. We just are in different situations. And, and I imagine there's a lot of difficulties starting from scratch. And we also have the, the difficulties of our institution comes with the history. The, I think it was 1957 we were established. So there's, there's a lot of history there. So, so, so moving and pivoting can be a little tricky at times. Um, yeah, so it's, we're, we're both going to this, we're both aiming for the same target. Uh, we just have these different situations that we're coming from. So it's, it's been so, so much fun to bounce ideas off each other. Thanks, Kyle. It sounds like an amazing experience on both sides, the learning that has happened and the growth in both organizations. 
The last year has been a challenge for many post-secondary institutions with the pandemic and with COVID and um, has certainly been a time of all kinds of transitions. And so now we're at July 7th, 2021. Well, at least we are here. Maybe you guys are July 8th there. We're July but, 8th, that's right. Okay. So July 8th in Australia, 2021. And another period of transition is coming up or, or maybe has already occurred. What mode of delivery and what does it look like at your institution with the moving in and out of the pandemic? Uh, what is the current status of things at your institution? Australia's had a very different COVID experience than, than most of the world. We've had um, very few cases, but very extreme um, lockdown measures. So we, you know, we're going into our second winter now and um, we, we definitely seem to, to have a lot more freedoms and, and activities happening in the, in the summers. So, you know, and I know you guys are coming out of lockdown now or, or restrictions. Um, I wonder what your winter is going to be like coming up if it's if it's going to um you know vaccines will put us in a different position i don't i don't want to start sitting here talking about like i'm some sort of you know COVID or vaccine expert um but you know we've we've really bounced around is the the short answer we've gone from you know one of the most extreme lockdowns in the world um which lasted you know 100 and something days um to you know, virtual freedom to back into short-term lockdowns from anywhere from, I think we did one that was five days, Tim, and we've we've only just come out of another one, which was three weeks, uh, and then the varying levels. So so what we've found is, um, so, we, you know, we've just had it come out of our fourth lockdown, and we, we've got a COVID sort of crisis group that meets once a week, and when that announcement came that we were going into that fourth lockdown, I remember at that group saying, okay, so um, everyone knows what to do. Let's just do it. Um, you know, we, we are pretty well rehearsed at, at how, to, how to react and what we need to do to move everything to online learning in a, in a short period of time, the communications that need to go out to students, to staff, um, you know, the whole range of things. So from our marketing teams to our academic teams to our teaching and learning teams everybody's really kind of firing now on the it's it's unfortunate but really firing on on what to do um, the harder part I think is the gradual return each time um, as restrictions lift there are different kinds of restrictions each time and you can do this but you can't do that um, so it's never it, coming out is never as quick and instant and, and in some ways as easy as going in. There's, there's a lot more uncertainty each time we come out. So I think, you know, for, for people listening, you know, over there in the Northern Hemisphere, the lesson for us has definitely been that, that potentially at least until the vac vaccination numbers are, are big enough, and I know that Canada's doing super well on that, so, you know, maybe that's just around the corner for you. But for us, it's at least another six to eight months of learning to live with short-term temporary lockdowns um, and, and this sort of bouncing around and learning to live with, with uncertainty. So what does it look like on campus? Well, for us, it's the essential hands-on type learning things that are back to face-to-face. -to -face. And probably like most institutions around the world, the you know, the, the old-fashioned lecture-style learning is... Um, you know, radically changed. And when it does take place, it's it's over Zoom and in remote ways. Um, and being supported by all the wonderful technologies that go around with it as well, being as interactive as it can be. Thanks, Ben. And yes, as we're heading towards September, we're really interested to know what that experience might be like and what you've learned. So that's really great to hear that. Um, Tim, is there anything you want to add to that? Uh, I think it's really interesting. We had our academic governing board yesterday and um, we have a student representative council and the president was on that. And um, we asked her to tell us a little bit about 
this year as opposed to last year? And she said, this year is way harder. Last year, it was simple. You knew you were learning from home and, you know, this is how you did that. This is the tools you needed. This is the equipment you needed. And yeah, it was difficult. And, you know, there was a hundred days, as Ben said, where we weren't allowed to leave our house for more than an hour a day. And we weren't allowed to go more than five kilometers away from our house. So it was, you know, our worlds became very small, but in some ways for students studying, that was safe. That was controllable. You know, they were, they sort of knew what to do in that environment. But she said this year, everything's changed and it's much harder to work it out, you know, and, and we've come out with a lot more options for the students. So as Ben said, they can, in most of our courses, they can do up to 100% of it now online if they want to do that. But it's the if they want to do that part that the students themselves are still figuring out. Um, and a lot of them are landing at that point where they've worked out that these are the things they want to do in person. And it is a lot of the heavily applied heavily practical or resource intensive sorts of learning but they've also realized that for a lot of other things they're perfectly fine and in some and often I think prefer to do that online when there's a bit more flexibility for them but arriving at that point I mean there's really no there's no way for a student to find what works for them except to try a bunch of different things and when some of those trials are then affected by a snap lockdown where the student might suddenly have gone do you know what I've made up my mind I'm definitely going to do that unit on campus and then sorry, you can't, it's, it's very difficult for them to reconcile all of that. And there's no models for them either. I think that's the other thing. So um, that's the same for staff, but I think from a student perspective, that's what's been really tough. And we're just trying to, to guide them through that as best we can and keep communicating with them. Certainly, um, it's brought many challenges, um, but the pandemic has also brought a lot of innovation, um, particularly to education. What are some of the things that you see staying long-term that, you know, that you've learned through all of this? It's actually interesting because uh, they're just coming on campus right now. This has been the one week that um, I've come here pretty much every day and it's, and it's nice to see new faces, but there's also a certain amount of excitement in the air about the potential of where we're going. And so, yeah, you don't forget some of the hardships that we've experienced over the last year, but there has been a lot of growth and there has been uh, there's a lot of opportunities moving forward in, in ways that we just, we couldn't get past before. We, there was, we were almost stuck, you know, we knew that we wanted flexibility, but there, the, the structure wasn't in place, um, but now it is. So, you know, just in terms of, of, like we talk about, you know, flexible, high flex learning opportunities for our students, but we're also talking about that with our staff. And I think that's really important um, when you're designing an institution around those types of learning models, for everybody to recognize what that actually looks like. So if we're only doing it with part of the institution, so designing classrooms for students, but we're not actually applying that with our systems and structures um, in our working environments here at, at the college, we'll never really understand what their needs are. And so I think that that's been really, uh, really helpful. Um, I know that our teams right now are looking at different ways that we can work better together in the space that we have and how we can look at our student spaces and create more opportunities for them to have more options and you know more flexibility in how they learn, where they want to learn. So I think that that's really exciting. And, I, and I'm really, I'm, I know that it's not gonna be super smooth coming in in September. And I think that that's where our role is going to be to work with people and let them know that it's okay. It's okay if it doesn't work right off the bat. We're going to try it out anyway because there is. We know that there's a lot of potential there. Um, so I, I always say this that you know our job as as leaders within this center isn't to tell people how to do things, but to create conditions for people to you know for some of those ideas to start to sprout and um, and for people to feel comfortable trying something new that they thought might have been somewhat out of their comfort zone before, and it still might be. And um, I think that that's okay as well that some people might not be as ready to come, you know, as others are. And I think we have to be flexible with that as well. Thanks, Jackie. Ben? Uh, we've got an almost unique situation in that we're um, currently planning and uh, about to start building a, another new campus. And we're trying to work out what the post-pandemic campus looks like because we don't think it looks like what the pre-pandemic campus did. And, you know, so far we haven't, we haven't cracked the code yet of exactly what it is, but... But we know, well, you know, our current rough planning, there's no, you know, old fashioned classroom in this new building at all. There's nothing that's not a, 
practical hands-on learning space where students are doing stuff. Um, that, and that might just be the first, the first clue, but, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting. It'll take us another, you know, six to 12 months to build this thing. But, but you know, when we get to the end of it, I think it'll be interesting. It'll, it'll be our first foray into what does, what does post-pandemic um, education in a, in a physical environment look like? And I think it will look very different to all of our existing campuses, which have really built on a, you know, hundreds of year old model of, of classrooms and yes, practical spaces, but you know, it's a model that, that hasn't really been disrupted for a really long time. So, um, you know, I guess there's budget constraints and classrooms, you know, are cheap, easy ways to, um, to educate lots of students all at once. Um, but I think we can be a bit smarter than that and, and find, you know, much more interesting and engaging and innovative ways to educate even more students all at once, possibly, you know, you know, hybrid type classrooms or hybrid type, um, you know, practical learning spaces. So I, those challenges are yet to, to be determined, but we're, we're kind of staring down the barrel of them right now. And I understand Colerts is really undergoing a lot of growth and quite rapid growth. Can you talk about um, how you've been managing that growth? And because that's in addition to the pandemic and all of what else is going on. Uh, I think, um, yeah, we've continued to grow through the pandemic as well at the rates, if not actually a little bit higher than, than we had been growing in the past, um, which is not what we were anticipating. Um, how do we handle it? Well, we sort of, you know, there's lots of running around, you know, screaming fire and running from the building. Um, no, not really. It, it, we, it's all planned for. Like, we, we know that, that this is where we're heading. We've got a very clear strategic plan and we, we understand that growth. Um, but, but we're also, you know, kind of aware that we can't be too rigid in our thinking because, you know, things are bouncing around a lot. I was actually in a talk just yesterday with a futurist whose name's, I forget, but he, he did a study of um, futurists and their predictions. And I've actually got the note in front of me. 15% um, of the th all the things, so he did a study of futurists over two or three years, 15% of all the things that they were certain would happen uh, didn't happen at all. And 25% of the things they were certain would never happen, happened. Um, they were wrong 40% of the time. So I reckon that's not a bad place to be. Like, you know, if you think you know what's going to happen, you're around probably 40% uh, likely to be wrong. And that, that's, you know, <laughs> I think if you approach rapid growth with that sort of concept in mind, that yes, we've got a plan and, and we know what we're doing and, we're going down that road, but we need to re just remain flexible and and um, you know willing willing to change our views as you know more more evidence or more whatever presents itself. That that's probably been helpful to us is just but you know growing but remaining nimble. Great, thanks, Ben. Um, so looking at that future change and that future growth, um, I understand that there's been some discussion about the connection between innovation and grassroots projects. Can you explain that connection and give some examples? So thinking about any sort of innovation, you know, we, we want it to be be, to, to faculty buy-in in, in, in our kind of centers for teaching and learning is really key to getting anything accomplished. You know, we, we could sit around all day and, and, and brainstorm the, the wildest, but yet most effective things we can think of to solve all of our problems. But unless someone comes to us with the problem, it's not really going to go anywhere. So we, we've always tried to give opportunity for, for faculty to come to our teams and say, this is this is a roadblock I've encountered in my classroom, uh, or in my teaching, or in, in you know in, in student learning, and and then that's where the kind of the wheels start going. Okay, well, well we can work with you on that, and, and that's where 
you know, us keeping our fingers on the pulse of, of new teaching strategies, new learning strategies, innovative technologies really pays off. So, um, you know, and this, you know, going through these, the, the COVID pandemic has really, really put the accelerator to um, a lot of these innovative practices that maybe we've been aware of for a while, but faculty maybe just haven't been ready to, to do. And, and so it's, you know, it's, I, I've heard it described as the golden age of uh, centers for teaching and learning. And, and, and I, I definitely see it that way because, uh, you know, we were talking about some of these practices and, and then all of a sudden people were knocking down our door, wanting these, wanting these solutions or wanting us to work with them to find solutions to some of these problems. And really what it's, what it's modeled in this talk ties into some earlier stuff you were, you were asking us about is, is we've modeled lifelong learning. Um, we've shown people who are going out in the industries that are rapidly changing that we can change too, and we, we can adapt to and, and find some solutions. And so I, and there's been a, a sort of empathetic tone to all of that as well as when, when something doesn't work for the, the faculty member who's trying to teach the students, the students are okay with that. Um, they, they, they understand you know, why something didn't work and, and vice versa as well when the student um, has an issue as well. So, so really, really for us, the grassroots is, is when someone comes to us and, and we're ready. Um, and, and that, that's where we've, we've been for a while, but um, in maybe a more accelerated pace in the last year. Thanks, Kyle. Jackie, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that um, when we talk about grassroots too, I think that it's it's about balancing that um, some of the things that are inherent to higher education. So we know that, I mean, as much as hierarchies sometimes don't sit well with people, we are a high, there. There is a hierarchy. We report to government. We, you know, there are certain structures within our organization that lend themselves to that. But there are also a lot of opportunities to um, create space, I keep saying that, but to create space and create those conditions for some of those, those ideas to emerge from the bottom up. And it's really important that if any kind of movement is going to happen, that that's where it actually starts, because you can't force people to be innovative. You can't tell people we're going to be innovative. You have to be able to create conditions that will allow them to start to think about innovative ideas, to feel safe in trying things that might not work out, um, to be able to take two ideas and put them together and come into something uh, completely new and to completely fail at some of them, but know that there's a lot of learning that might come from that and to know that the system and the structure of our institution is there to support you. Um, I know that when we, I talked to you before uh, in another podcast, I did talk about that complexity leadership theory, and that's what that really does: is it 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 takes the balance between those, you know, that agility that needs to exist, the administrative qualities, and then there's that enabling factor in between that takes those both both together and helps you wrestle with that tension that that happens, um, and that really is is part of what academic institution and higher education is all about, so. I thought that was fantastic what you were saying there, Jackie, about, um, you know, you really can't force this and you can't, um, you know, an innovation is only an innovation if it adds value. Otherwise, it's just an interesting, fancy idea, you know, and so, it, and it's got to be, that value has got to be seen and shared. And I think that's where the grassroots projects often, you know, they're often a better place to start because people have already found the value. They might just need a bit of help to shape the innovation, you know, and I think there's a real danger otherwise if you think, well, we're the ones who hold all the innovations, you kind of march out there and turn around and find you're standing there on your own. And, you know, someone once said to me about educational innovations, he said um, that it's a bit, trying to do an innovation on your own is a bit like trying to clap with one hand. You know, you, you can do it, but it doesn't make much noise and it's really tiring. So, you know, it's much better to find the projects where the people are um, and kind of build on that where they've already found the value, but maybe need a bit more structure. And I think that's a fine sort of balance and one that we kind of reinvent all the time. Thanks, Tim. So, Ben, you talked about the success of futurists or, or maybe not so successful predictions of futurists, but um, a question for all of you to think about is um, what kind of changes do you see ahead in higher education for the future? 
I'm going to have a, a posse of futurists on my back after this. Uh, we're in all sorts of trouble. And also anyone who's listening should know that whatever we say in the next few minutes, you've got to ignore at least 40% of it. So the hard part is which 40%, right? So we're in trouble. <laughs> but I think Jackie should answer this. She, she's keen. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's, I think that um, it's, like I said before, it's always important to look out there to see, you know, how the world's engaging with each other and how the world's interacting with each other, because that's, that's how we predict the future, because that's how, that's how they're going to want to engage in here and with us. Um, I often look at my, my own children. So there, I have one in middle school and one um, that's going into high school, and they just both went through this pandemic. Um, at their ages. And uh, the first time that they went through it, it was a disaster. They, they hated it. They hated le learning remotely. The second time they went through it, it was actually not so bad. They still preferred the, the in-face and be, those interactions. And the third time when I asked them, so what would you prefer? It was absolutely some of both. They really, there were qualities that they were already recognizing that they really, um, that they liked being able to kind of control that a little bit more. They liked some of the freedom that they had from, from working in both environments. And I felt like um, they, they really appreciated both environments a lot better, but it also um, really opened my eyes to how they communicate with the world out, out there. So, you know, how they communicate with their friends, whether it's, you know, through games or whether it's through these small texts or whether it's through, I don't know, it, I just think there's some important observation that we have to stop and pause and uh, take note of because that's gonna tell us what we need to be doing um, in here. And when we're trying to build that future, we won't be able to do it unless we pay attention. Ben? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Jackie and, uh, and as she was talking, uh, something sprung into my mind, which is really our uh, music course, which um, you know, I've been talking to our, our music staff for a long time about what could we manage online and, and what needed to stay face-to-face. -face. And um, not surprisingly, and, and it's no criticism of them, but pre-pandemic, they were very much of the, of the mindset that you couldn't teach music in an online learning environment, that you needed to be in the same room to do it. Um, forced into it, they were the most amazing, innovative, incredible group that you've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, not so, so long ago, they came to us going, actually, even if everything goes back to how it was, we want to run this music course as an online course as well as a face-to-face a, a -face course. And, and I, I firmly believe, speaking of punching above your weight, but I, I think that, the Collarts online music course is the best online music course available in the world. Uh, and we never would have got there without being, being having our hand forced. Uh, I'm super proud of that team. They've done an incredible job. Um, they've employed the technology in every conceivable way. They've... Um, our audio department's done the same too. We teach audio engineering. You know, within weeks of the pandemic, they'd worked out how to pull Zoom apart and have, you know, super high quality audio. We had students operating um, equipment on campus, but from their bedrooms. Um, you know, so they were mixing bands that were playing in, in, situation, in, in a studio in a different space, you know. They were doing incredible things. So I, I think that, you know, it, it's almost a, the perfect timing for this. You know, if this had happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have seen quite the level of um, continuity that we've been able to see and the level of innovation. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, the, a pandemic of its time in terms of education, because really what it's done is it's forced us all to move 10, 15 years into the future in the space of a year and a half, two years. So it's actually, it's actually been really um, positive in some really weird ways. Thanks, Ben. Before we wrap up, I'd like to just open up the, the mic for any final thoughts that you have, or maybe something that we haven't discussed that you would like to uh, talk about. I guess like the, what we first started talking about was how 
<clears throat> beneficial it's been for our institutions to work together. We're in different kind of phases and we have a lot to learn from one another. And so I think that's just, that's a big takeaway. I can't wait to see what kind of things we learn from each other in the next year. Um, I think, yeah, post COVID, especially we have started to share a lot of those lessons. And, um, you know, when we were uh, returning back to campus, they had said, oh, watch for this. You know, our students wanted to come back and then they kind of went back home. And um, yeah, so I think it's just been really great. And I think we'll continue to work together. But I think there's always value in institutions, even across, they might be across Canada, the province, across the globe, working together to, to learn those lessons. You have more in common with one another than you think. What, what I would say to build on that, Donna, is I think the relationship we've established here is actually a really nice model of some of the concepts we've been talking about. You know, this is about finding that innovation by working together. And, you know, and I think that's, we all need to do that. There's no models for how you emerge from a global pandemic and, and what you keep and what you lose, you know, and, and both from what you were doing before the pandemic and what you developed in it. So I think this collaboration um, is actually a really good example of, how we develop those models, I think, because we're able to really quickly test and explore ideas at an international level. All I keep thinking is, my goodness, we should be publishing this stuff, but, you know, watch this space on that. Well, it's been wonderful talking with all of you, and, and it is really amazing how a connection at a conference or just some small connection that you might not realize how it can grow like this connection that you guys have all formed between the two institutions, Lethbridge College and CallArts. And it's really amazing this collaboration and the innovation that has occurred. Thank you very much for joining and coming together today to talk about um, all of the growth that um, everyone has experienced in the, and the innovation that has occurred. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Donna. Thank you. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Jacqueline Doherty, Aaron Howard, Tim Moss, Ben O'Hara, and Kyle Snowden as panelists. Jude Bialik was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, Mike Smith, and Tyler Wall for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by the Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca.